Namaste, everyone. <clears throat> Good evening. Before speaking, I will offer my respects to my spiritual teachers and our lineage in the Supreme. And invoke auspiciousness upon us all. Om Magina Timarandasya Gina Gina Salakaya Chaksu Militan Yena Tasmai Sri Guruve Namaham Majasri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Adwaita Ganadhar Sri Vasadi Gaur E Krishna Kauruna Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Bo This day, a year ago, eight people in Australia ended their life in this body. The big problem was it didn't happen just on this day last year. It happened every single day. If I asked eight people to stand up, and that's one day, then I ask another eight to stand up, and then I ask another eight to stand up. In seven days, we would have 56 people, probably about one third of the room. <laughs> And that's just one week. We multiply that by 52. It's like there is literally an, an epidemic of unhappiness. The world has never in history, seen the levels of unhappiness and depression that currently exist in society. The amount of mood-altering substances that people are taking just to get through the day, legal and illegal, is it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. 
And if we were intelligent, we would ask, is this the way it's meant to be? You know, we, we're basically just told to shut up and get on with things. They don't say it like that, but that's pretty much what the message is. And everybody is offering to sell you happiness. Every single company and individual that is selling anything is actually trying to sell you happiness, fulfillment. And it's a monumental deception, un unparalleled in the thousands of years of human history. It's unparalleled. We become so unaccustomed to unhappiness. We become so accustomed to this constant sense of unease where I'm looking for shelter. I'm looking for protection. I want peace. I want to find love. And we are searching and searching and searching. And everybody's offering something to fill up that empty hole. A recent study came out just a couple of weeks ago. It was published when I was visiting uh, Darwin. I saw it in the international news that the mental health situation in the world is so catastrophically bad that between 2010, that's not that long ago, 2010 and 2030, they expect the accumulative cost to be about $16 trillion dollars. Wow, this is working out really good, isn't it? <laughs> we have embarked on this amazing experiment of materialism. This amazing experiment. We have kicked to the curb all forms of religion or spiritual direction or morality that encourages people to practice moderation in their life, to adopt simplicity. Everything has just become this frantic, 
quest and search. I'm like parched, traveling through a desert and looking for something to quench this great emptiness that we have. In all of the Dharmic religions, so that's like Buddhism and all varieties of Hinduism and all the different yoga processes, the things that have fundamentally arisen out of the East, they have a, a fundamental formula that actually helps to understand what's, what's wrong. And that formula is basically ignorance equals pain or suffering. And with that very simplistic formula, if you are feeling an emptiness in your life, if you are feeling pain, if you are suffering somehow or other, it will always be because you have accepted something as being true that is fundamentally untrue. You have bought into ideas and adopted a mode of living in your quest for happiness and fulfillment. And it doesn't produce it. In fact, it produces the opposite of what we are looking for. This is not an oversimplification. This is incredibly profound. And we can explore it in great depth, but of course we don't have time to do that this evening. But I would just like to share two fundamental truths that can help those who suffer from all varieties of anxiety and depression. The first is not to have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of this world. The things that you truly seek and desire the nature of the happiness that you want, that happy ever after that they speak of in their children's stories and the way in which all the love novels end. They lived happily ever after. This condition is impossible to experience in the material world doesn't happen. It's a fantasy. It does happen in the spiritual dimension. But when one is thoroughly absorbed in the material world, when we are thoroughly materialistic, it is an impossibility to achieve. So mellow out. Get real about your life. 
What you are desiring is a wonderful thing and it is good to desire, but do not expect that this world and things connected with this world will deliver on that promise. They won't. We have this, you know, now all the data is coming in about how ridiculous social media is. It's just a humongous farce. It's just a great pretense. And it starts with the selfie. The selfie's the most stupid thing ever. Sorry, but it's true. Like 15 years ago, if you were hanging out down here at the beach and some tourist shows up, and they walk up to you and say, could you take a picture of me, please? And they give you the camera, you know. And, they, and then they get the camera and then they walk over to someone, oh, could you take a picture of me, please? You know, and then someone, oh, could you take a picture of me, please? We'd be looking at that person like they've got a serious mental ailment. This person is unstable. This person has lost the plot. Now that behavior, just because you're the one holding the camera, the behavior is the same. We've just got so used to it that not only is it normal, it's incredibly desirable. We should all be doing this. They have demonstrated, they have all the data to support that if you spend more than 20 minutes a day on social media looking at other people's profiles and what they're doing, beyond that 20 minutes, the amount of time that you spend will be directly proportionate to how unhappy and dissatisfied and envious that you feel. All those things. That's what happens. I'm not making it up. This is what happens. We have a little problem. The little problem arises from the fact that we are eternal spiritual beings. And this body which we are wearing around is not us. It is a vehicle. It is like clothing. We are using and wearing. But when I assume that the covering is the person, when I assume the body is me, this is a total formula for unhappiness. It cannot go any other way but end in unhappiness. For instance, people have become so, they struggle with concepts of self-worth and worthiness. Am I attractive? Am I lovable? And it's all based on this thing that you're wearing around, the body. The body, it grows, it 
quickly passes through youthfulness. It starts aging. You hit a bit of a peak and then it's downhill all the way. I don't care how much plastic you stuff in your body, how many operations you have, you cannot avoid the reality that this is on a trajectory to crash and burn. This is not just a little bit of turbulence in the air. This thing is going all the way down. And it ends in what is called death. It doesn't go anywhere else. And here we are struggling, struggling with this illusion that this is me. And I am seeking validation. I am seeking worthiness. I am seeking to be accepted and loved all on the basis of this thing, this cadaver that I'm walking around with. When I occupy it, I am the sentient, glorious, spiritual being who is eternal, who never dies, is never destroyed. I am by nature glorious and beautiful. But when I transfer that to the body, oh my God, you got a problem. The body just doesn't really deliver what we're looking for. Right or not? I, mean, I, I have this constant flashback when I talk about this to, you know, when I was, when I was young, when I was a teenager, and everybody's trying to, you know, learn the ropes and discover what's going on and how the body functions and everything. And all the boys and the girls are looking at each other and, you know, try to find suitable, suitable candidates to rub up and down against in the hope that it will produce unlimited happiness and love. No, it doesn't do either of those things. It just gets you worked up into a bit of a frenzy and that passes by and then what? What are you left with? You know, what are you left with? And so this, my friend, he had this, this rather pretty girl as a girlfriend and she really dressed nicely and she had a really, you know, nice looking body and everything and my friend he's just a like a horny teenager <laughs> and he's just like frothing frothing at the mouth you know. <laughs> can't wait to get her alone and of course she's trying to dress in a way that the curvature of the body and the breasts and everything just looks so Mmm, yummy. <laughs> and then he's just like, just all he wants to do is have sex with her all the time. And then she's just totally pissed off. It's like, you don't really care about me. You're just interested in my body. Wow, revelation. 
<laughs> that could have been a moment of enlightenment. But no, that's gone in, in seconds. And everybody goes back to that world of utilizing the body as the way in which you seek to be loved, you seek validation, you seek to be considered beautiful, you can see everything is tied to this thing, this thing that only is going to age and begin to fall apart and become utterly disgusting. Doesn't go anywhere else, sorry. Therein lies a great part of our disappointments in life. Therein lies a great foundation for both anxiety and depression. I seek happiness by simply stimulating the body, the senses of the body and the mind. I just want to do all these things to it. I just want to, I don't know, agitate it, tickle it, feed it, do all this stuff with it. And it leaves me empty. Now, I'm not sure if I mentioned this one here or not. You know, it was like hilarious to see this really wonderful thing with Russell Brand, that irreverent comedian, who's actually a really intelligent guy. And he was highly successful. He had huge amounts of money. He had youthfulness. And he was just on a hedonistic band that is unparalleled. He really liked stimulating the body and just blowing his mind. I loved alcohol. He was just glugging copious amounts of alcohol. I loved cocaine. Just sticking it up my nose all the time. Just constantly snorting coke. And then when you're looking for some sort of place to go hide, it was heroin. And so he was doing massive amounts of these things all at the same time in the same day. And he was just having unlimited amounts of sexual activity and everything. And he said it was, there was just pleasure. He loved the pleasure. But his experience was, in spite of all the pleasurable experience, he did not experience any happiness. He was profoundly unhappy to the point of being suicidal. This is not uncommon. This is becoming very much a norm. And people have accepted this ignorant idea because we've been sold it and everybody's on the trip that if I can just stimulate my body enough, if I can buy enough stuff, if I can just find the perfect person to hang out with and have a relationship with, somehow I will be wonderfully happy. 
The problem is this. Happiness is actually a spiritual experience. It is not a material experience. I can experience pleasurable sensation in my body and my mind, but that's not the same as happiness, nor does it produce happiness. I can be putting so much stuff into and on my body, but it does not bring me to the position of actual completeness. I should have prepared a little better. There's this wonderful thing I read in this woman's blog, you know, and she had like the most successful life. Her life was just like she had so much going on and she had a wonderful husband and everything was so perfect. And then she's describing, and it's kind of quite wild that she's been so open. She's lying in bed and her husband snuggled up behind her. She can feel his breath on her neck and he's deep asleep. And she's lying there late into the night and asking, why am I unhappy? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me that I am so lacking in satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness? Is there something terribly wrong with me? No, there's not. That's a fantastic experience you're having. It is the doorway to a great spiritual realization. Do not expect that all of these material experiences will fulfill you and make you happy. They don't and they cannot because you are a spiritual being residing within the body. You are the life of this body. Because of your presence, the body manifests the symptoms of life. Those symptoms are not coming from the body. They're coming from you. You have such power and influence over the body that the body appears to be independently alive. And similarly, the mind. You can have all the material experience in the world. And it cannot fulfill you. It does not even touch you in your heart of hearts. In your heart of hearts, if you are utterly honest, you remain completely unfulfilled. And if you are honest, you will experience this thought, what's wrong with me? Nothing. You're fine. You're fine. What's going on is fantastic. You're having a realization. The realization is that this body and the experience of it and the world cannot satisfy you completely. Impossible. Can't. It's like if I order an ice cream sundae, and I'm sitting there looking at this thing and it's like, oh my God. You know, I got the different flavors and the banana and I got, you know, all the toppings and the, 
you know, the chocolate and the, oh, whoa. And I'm going like, this is going to be amazing. And I dig in with the spoon and I look at it and I go, this is going to be fantastic. And then I put it in the mouth of the person next to me. <laughs> what happened? I try again. And put it into the, per- the person next to me, put it in their mouth. And they're going like, yeah. And I'm going like, what? Not feeling it. You know, that might be a stupid example, but it's literally what's going on. It's literally what's going on. Our desire for happiness arises from the very soul itself. You, the spiritual being. It is your eternal nature to exist in a state of complete, amazing, transcendent happiness. That is why we crave happiness. But instead of feeding myself with spiritual food, I'm just cramming, madly cramming material objects and experiences and things into this body thinking that it will do the trick. And if that doesn't make you depressed, there's something wrong with you. You're in la-la land. Often people just get used to it and they don't want to think about it. They just want to get on, keep doing it. Don't think about it. It's really going to upset the balance of everything. So just keep going in the vain and useless hope that somehow it's all going to turn out okay. No, it doesn't turn out okay. Your body just goes into decline. Your mind goes into decline. You are confronted with the reality of death, which is utterly disturbing. It's disturbing because you are eternal. But you've become so obsessed with the idea that this body is me that as I see it approaching the event of death, it is just like, whoa, that is scary. So first point in principle If you have unrealistic expectations of this world, of material relationships, material experience, at some point you will become profoundly unhappy and depressed because The world cannot deliver what you seek. The second point is to understand and grow in your realization of this reality that this body is not me, nor is the mind me. The essence of all yoga practice, there is this recognition that the mind can be one's greatest friend or one's greatest enemy. 
I mean, the idea that the mind can be your greatest enemy should instantly make you understand that there is a distinction between the mind, which is part of what's called the subtle body that covers the spiritual being. There is a distinction between that and between you. What's going on in your mind does not define who you are. It doesn't, it's just simply something that's occurring within that realm of the mind. The mind has very specific characteristics. It is incredibly fickle. It is the repository of all sensory experience. All sensory experience actually occurs within the mind. It's kind of like you're watching a movie. You're sitting there in the dark and there's a big screen and you're just like locked into the movie. And you know how amazing it is when you're locked into the movie. You've even forgot who you've come to the movie with. You've even forgot that you're sitting there in a chair. You're looking at this thing and you're so moved by it. You can feel fear. You can feel exhilaration. You can feel great sort of happy stimulation that, you know, for a little while. You can feel sexually aroused. You can feel just like utterly terrified. And, and you're not doing anything. You're just sitting in a chair and actually nothing's happening to you. There's just some light that's coming from a projector and it's hitting a screen and bouncing into your eyeball, which doesn't actually see anything. Your eyeball is an instrument. It is not what is seeing. And that agitates some photosensitive cells in the back of this blobby, gelatinous mass with a little lens on the front, which fires off electrical impulse, which goes down the optic nerve to the um, optic cortex of the brain and explodes with all of these impulses. And we call that seeing. In the yoga system, they actually use this word, the seer, drishta, the seer. Who is actually the one doing the seeing here? And where is the seeing taking place? These guys really thought about it a lot. They experimented. They were recipients of great transcendental knowledge. They weren't flippant. This seer is the transcendental personality, you, who occupies the body and experiences this world through the body and through the mind. If your mind is overstimulated and uncontrolled, it will lead you to terrible places. All you have to look at is somebody that's suffering from grave mental illness or severe depression 
we can become utterly victimized by our own minds. But the mind is not who we are. One of the problems with modern psychology is that for the majority of practitioners, they work with a very shallow paradigm, a really Their paradigm is that they deal with the body and they deal with the mind. <laughs> and the mind is considered to be a function of the brain. The brain is producing the mind. Of course, neurologists, people that are really into um, neurological research, and some of the top brain surgeons in the world, they will tell you that there, there is ac actually no, no intimate. Uh, they will tell you that the mind is not produced by the brain. They don't know where it comes from and what exactly it is. Because when they operate on people, they usually have to keep them, most, a lot of brain operations, you've got to keep the patient conscious. So you imagine what that feels like, somebody's cutting off a piece of your skull after peeling back some of your scalp. And then they're in there and they're doing surgery and sometimes they talk to the patient and the patient responds, do you feel that, you know, how everything okay? The patient's, yeah, everything's okay. They just got a big curtain here. They don't know what's going on back there. And one guy was talking about how he had just removed a part of this person's brain that they say is responsible for certain types of thoughts and memories. And he's engaged in talking, and this person is talking about something that's meant to come from that part of the brain. But how can it? Because he's just cut it out. And he goes, well... You know, it's so obvious to someone who performs this type of surgery that the brain and the mind are actually not the same thing. The mind is not a product of the brain. In the yoga sciences, they have much deeper knowledge of this. If you choose to live incorrectly, or there is this reality that your body can have an effect on your brain and that can have an effect on your mind. That is a reality. We accept that. Conversely, your mind can have an effect on your physiology. Your, your, the way your body reacts to things and what it goes through, and including many forms of illness can be caused or originate in a very disturbed and unhappy, imbalanced mind. So we recognize there is this connection. But for one who has actually begun to really comprehend and appreciate the fact that the body is not me and the mind is not me, they now develop a whole nother way of dealing with things. 
It's just like if you've got to drive to Brisbane and your car is a bit of a wreck and you've had a flat tire and you've got the, the you know, the replacement wheel on it and so it's all down one side and the axle kind of, you know, the, the other tires sort of wobbles and it won't start unless you push it and you can't go over, you know, 45 kilometers an hour, otherwise it starts overheating. But you've got to get from point A to point B no matter what. You've got to go because you've got something to do. And so you realize, okay, my car is a bit of a wreck but it's all I've got to work with. So I work with it and I work within the confines of what it can do. And it gets me from point A to point B. And then when I get out of the car, I don't like fall on the sidewalk and go, Oh my God, it's such a wreck. <laughs> it's just a car. Relax. It's okay. It's a bit of a wreck. It's all you can afford at this moment. It's fine. For one who is beginning to have a spiritual awakening, even if they are suffering from mental challenges, they treat both their body and the mind in the same way that you would treat a vehicle that doesn't give you everything you want. And you work with the limitations of it. These are the two principal, principal understandings that are provided in, in the yoga philosophy and wisdom that actually help a person navigate what we call life. But the most wonderful thing is that We are presented with a real process and real tools and a real means to experience actual fulfillment, to find real happiness. The very thing that we actually seek and desire so not only do we develop an understanding of how to live within and to deal with this world, but at the same time we learn how to develop spiritually. You know, in a world where there is no focus on spiritual cultivation, we are living a life of tremendous imbalance. There is no possibility of harmony if your sole focus and understanding is that like this material world and the body of which I have is everything. That's the whole deal. No, it's not. We are not saying that a person needs to give up or run away from material existence. Not at all. But there is a need to live a life of balance. And that balance will come about by cultivating an understanding of who I 
actually am, who I really am, to begin to experience an awakening of my true spiritual nature. When a person does this, along with taking care of the fundamental material needs, when one learns to live in a society and accepts obligations and commitments and partnerships, relationships, all those things that come from being a social animal, one can live a life that is utterly fulfilling and not really experience the deep and profound sadness that can arise or does arise from hedonism or material existence. Was that a bit too heavy or what? We're okay with that. Huh? Everybody's like so quiet. Does anybody have a, a question that they would like addressed? This is not a theory. This is not an idea. This is a really practical reality. It doesn't matter how you have lived. It doesn't matter about your experience or lack of experience. Each one of you has everything that you need to experience such a life an enlightened life of deep fulfillment, of great and abiding happiness, to experience the awakening of the spiritual love, that experience that we all actually crave for. The process, the meditative process of the chanting of these transcendental sounds, these spiritual sounds, mantras, is actually the key to bring about a change in ourself, a change of heart, a change in our consciousness. We learn to refocus our life. We learn to live a life that is utterly fulfilling. And every single one of you have the ability and the capacity to do it. Nobody is disqualified. It will mean that you have to make choices. We spoke about that last week, the power of choice. The choices that you make in life are incredibly powerful. They determine your experience of life. If you are fundamentally unhappy, it will always be because of choices that you have made. When you learn to make correct choices, you become empowered in the most amazing way and everything changes for you. Learning how every, every action, every desire that you have that then manifests as an action, 
always has a consequence, a result. It's unavoidable. There is no possibility of acting, particularly when it involves hurting someone. And my gods, do we hurt each other. Unnecessarily, we hurt each other with our speech, with our actions. We inflict great pain and it just becomes a norm. That's how we live. And it's all incredibly unnecessary. Learning how to make enlightened choices, how to make choices that actually produce sweet instead of bitter fruit. If you are tasting bitterness in your life, you will always be able to trace it to choices that you have made. Consciously or unconsciously, you make choices and you act. Wherever you are at any particular time in life, it is the fruit, it is the result of decisions that you've made and, and choices that you've made. You choose your life, you choose your direction. And what is so important is to learn how not to become utterly enslaved by all these people that are pushing stuff on you. Every single one that wants to sell you something, which is like everything that you use in your life, there is a message that comes with it. This spiritual journey is a journey of immense freedom. It is a journey of learning how to actually take charge of your life, not be dragged around by your mind and by desires, and how to choose courses of action that actually bring you to the position of happiness. So, um, we will engage in some of that meditative activity in this particular age in which we live. The form of meditation that is done in group and with music is considered to be uniquely powerful. That simply by engaging in this process, Gradually, it's like the sun begins to rise and the darkness in your life becomes dissipated and everything begins to change. Okay? Thank you very much.
Oh. Uh-huh. 
Yeah.